We're going to do something a little bit different today. Okay, I'm going to skip my lengthy introduction. We're going to dive right into the text. How's that? Cool, let's do it. Matthew 22, let's go there. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 34 through 40. Then we're going to read Mark 12, 28 through 31. Let's read Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. The great commandment. <clears throat> Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, if you would, go to Mark 12. Verses 28 through 31. And we again in Mark look at the great commandment. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him. The scribe asks Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, uh, we, we acknowledge that you are sovereign. And we acknowledge, God, that you have a design and a desire for us to hear what it is that you would have us to know about you, about loving you. I pray that this day, God, would be a day of exploration, that we would explore our hearts thoroughly that we would explore our minds thoroughly as well, God. And we would see, really, what is the object of our desire? Would you help us to do that with the aid of your Spirit? We ask this as a measure of grace, Father, from you to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God, there's no way we're going to work through all of this today. Next week or the next time that I speak, I think Jason's going to speak next week. As a matter of fact, let me stop there and just say thank you, guys. Jason, thank you. Jason, thank you. Man, these last few weeks have been a blur. And I want to say thank you, guys, for not serving me, but for serving the Lord and serving the body. So thank you, guys, for that. Um, the next time I speak, we'll talk more about loving the Lord subjectively with your heart and your soul. And loving the Lord objectively with your mind and with your strength. But today we just want to simply look at a prerequisite to take us to that place where we can begin to love the Lord our God 
with everything that's within us because, listen, I know the reality. I know the temptation. The temptation is to say, listen, the Bible says to love God this way. Now just do it. And although there's an element of truth to that, I do believe that there's some things that we need to know about God to help lead us to that place where we can love him with all of our expression, where we can love him with all, all of our being, okay? So today we're going to look at the confession that precedes the great commandment. And then secondly, we're going to look at the gathering that highlights the great commandment. So look at me, look at this with me, if you will. Let's look at the confession that precedes the great commandment. Let's reread verse 28 of Mark 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I want to stop right there for a moment. It was very common in Jesus' day for the religious leaders to come together and to debate over which commandment really was the greatest. Some would say that the commandment of the Sabbath was the greatest, while others would say the commandment of the feasts or the commandment of the sacrifices or the commandment of the tithes. There was many different and varying opinions of what the greatest commandment was, but we see Jesus repeating Deuteronomy 6, 5 as the greatest of all commandments, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That passage is called the Shema. And among modern Jews, it is still considered to be one of their most sacred duties to recite the Shema every morning and every evening. And I also believe that it's going to serve us very well to pay close attention how Scripture intentionally words the Shema or this great command. And I want you to notice that neither Moses nor Christ highlight the fact that there is one God. What they both highlight instead is that God is one. And is that even relevant? Or is that a different way of simply saying the same thing, that there is only one God? I actually believe it's a little bit more than that. I believe that we would all agree that there is one God. I believe, as a matter of fact, that if we were to be standing in rural Africa and we were giving the gospel presentation, and if we were to call the natives to pay attention to the vastness of the African sky or the beauty of the African landscape, or if we were to call them to pay attention to the complexity of creation, I think that most of them too would agree that there's one God. Then, after they agreed that there's one God, they would go back to their village and they would pour out a water or a drink offering to the God of protection or they would slit the throat of a small animal and they would pour out the blood 
as an offering to the God of protection before they started their day. And this idea is not limited to a rural African village. We live in a time where just because there is an acceptance or just because there is an acknowledgement of one God, that acknowledgement does not necessarily abolish all of the other gods that we tend to possibly have in our lives. We live in a time where one God is often acknowledged, but one God rarely astonishes anyone anymore. If we have the opportunity, if you ever have the opportunity to share the gospel in Africa or India, I want to promise you that the response will be overwhelmingly positive. And there will be some, I can assure you, their conversion will be quite real and their life change will be quite real. But I want to assure you of something else. There will be others who simply add Jesus to an existing list of their gods. We live in a time where an acknowledgement of one God doesn't necessarily mean that that one God has the rights over my life. Just because we acknowledge that there is one God, that acknowledgement in and of itself does not necessarily mean that that one God is dealing with me in just ways. We, we must, we will find ourselves striving. We will find ourselves exerting our energy to combat the world, the flesh, and the devil, all of which continues to speak to us in very very subtle and very seductive ways, never telling us that there's no God, but causing us to continually question whether or not one God is enough to bring us complete and total satisfaction. That's the purpose of this profession that precedes the great commandment. It's not just the realization that we serve one God. It's the realization that we serve one God who is one. That's the difference. That's the purpose of this confession. It's designed to reorient us and to draw us back to God's uniqueness. There are many, whether they be Muslims, whether they be Buddhists, whether they be Hindus, whether they resemble westernized Christianity, whether they be Americans, there are many that can say there is one God. But authentic Christianity does not stop there. Authentic Christianity cannot stop there. Authentic Christianity acknowledges, yes, there is one God, but this one God is one. Now that's a game changer. And the reason that that's a game changer is because this is no longer a matter of mere acknowledgement. This is, now, <clears throat> this is now a call to come and to be attentive. This is now a call to come and be submissive. This is now a call to come and study. This is now a summons to know him who is demanding something of me. This is a call to come and experiencing him who is wanting something of me. John Piper states, <clears throat> All understandings of all things 
that do not take God into consideration are superficial understandings. He goes on to say, we today in America can scarcely begin to feel how God ignoring we have become because it is the very air we breathe. <clears throat> we breathe God ignoring air. That's why Moses, that's why Christ, they're not just reminding us that there is one God. They are reminding us that there is one God who is one. That Greek word one, it attests to God's uniqueness. He is unique to the point that he has no equal. He is unique to the point that he stands alone. That Greek word for one also attests to the unity and the oneness that not only exists within God, but that exists within God as he deals with us. He is united within himself in relation to the purposes that he has for our lives and how he implements those purposes. God is undivided in how he deals with us, whether he is extending grace or whether he is extending justice or whether he is extending discipline. He is one-minded in relation to how it must be by which men are saved. God is fixed in his attributes, and he does not change. Now, if God is not uncertain within himself, beloved, I can assure you that God is not uncertain in relation to the intricate details that are taking place in your very life right now. Every single circumstance that's going on in your life right now, regardless of how detrimental or troubling you may think they are, I want to assure you they are the result of the certainty and they are a result of the unity that God has within himself in relation to himself. God is perfect within himself, therefore he deals with you and I in perfect ways. Not, we're not just talking about one God. We're talking about one God who is one. And that's a game changer. Preston Ebby writes the following. <clears throat> he who is united in every aspect of his nature and state of being cannot be influenced Affected, moved, upset, frustrated, changed, altered, damaged, destroyed, or set at variance in any way. The love, joy, peace, righteousness, wisdom, justice, power, and will of God do not rise and fall Rise and fall, rise and fall. They do not. It matters not what happens, nor what men or devils may say or do. The love of God, the purpose of God, the power of God are steadfast, unmoved, unquenched, unaffected, and without fluctuation. Why? Because he is Jehovah, the self-existent one. He is one. And beloved, if we don't lay 
deep hold of that great news, we run a great risk. And the great risk is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It now becomes conditional and hanging in the balance if we don't lay hold of this truth that He is one and that He is united in the way that He deals with us. Because reality is this, if life is good, if I don't have a hold of this, and life is good, He is worthy. If I don't have a hold of this, and life is bad, I'm left to wonder, is God wavering? Is God struggling in His ability to balance out justice and mercy in my life? Is God struggling so that one is not overriding and overpowering the other? Is God struggling to maintain this perfect balance of His holiness and, and His justice and His discipline? Is He capable of even doing that? And I want to suggest to you this morning, that our gathering together as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, is designed specifically to address, to address that great need in our lives, that great need that we have to constantly be reminded, not that we serve one God, but that we serve one God who is one. It's going to lead us to our second point. The gathering that highlights the great commandment. Let's look at verse 28, again, let's start there. <clears throat> and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, <clears throat> O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Emphasis on here. Shema, comes from the Hebrew word for here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so when Moses is gathering the children of Israel to come together and hear, when Jesus is calling all of his listeners to come together for the purpose of hearing, they're talking about hearing with much more than the ears that are attached to the side of our heads. They're talking about hearing with the ears of our hearts, kind of the way that my wife expects me to hear her when she's pouring out of herself and I'm kind of zoning out and I'm in my own little world. Kind of that same way that I know whether my daughters are listening with their ears or whether they're listening with their hearts. I can tell the difference. We know the difference, right? When my daughters are just simply listening with their ears, they kind of have that glazed look across their eyes and that comatose look upon their face. But when they're listening with their hearts, I know that I not only have their attention, but I also know that I have their submission. I know that they're listening. I know that they're leaning into the conversation. And they're leaning in with the intention of, of listening. So when he talks about hearing... It comes from a Greek word that means to hear with the intention of obeying. Hearing with the intention of obeying. Listen, guys, we are functioning in a very intruding and a very invasive culture. We are functioning in a culture that exists. We are existing. We are functioning in a culture of gods and a culture of men. And that's a dangerous combination. Gods that other men are making, gods that this society we live in, gods that they are building up, and gods, to be quite frank, gods of our own making. 
gods that, yeah, they're going to start off birthed in our minds, but we carry with that the hope that they're birthed into our experiences. We, it starts here, but we're hoping for something more than that. And it really doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's gods of money, gods of materialism, gods of sex, just anything that causes me to be preoccupied in my mind and to be dreamy about something, a goal that I might have. Anything that would cause me to be preoccupied with my mind when my mind should be solely and strictly given to the God. Not just the one God, but the God who is one. Now when I take that into consideration, when I take that reality of the culture that we live in into consideration, and I couple that with what John Calvin said about the human heart, and he stated that, the, that our hearts are idol-making factories. So I take those two truths, and I place them together, and it really raises a heightened awareness of why it is that we really and truly do gather here. We gather here so that we would be reminded and so that we would be reoriented through hearing. Through hearing. Not that we serve one God, but that we serve one God who is one. We gather to attempt to answer those tough questions through each other's lives, through each other's giftings, those tough, those tough questions that we attempt to answer as we live in this culture that is invading, that is invading our lives. As we live in this culture that forces us to ask real questions. Real questions that comes from serious sicknesses, man, among us. Real questions that come from, man, frayed, lost marriages. Real questions that come from the reality of death and what accompanies that. We had a dear friend that died, or that, that died recently. He fell from like 30 feet. Broke his back, crushed his brain. He was on life support. His family finally decided to pull the plug of the life support, but that's not the kicker. The kicker is when the wife showed up to pull the plug, she showed up with her boyfriend. That's 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 what's invading our space. And it's those types of things. See, I have to look at this woman who's just been told by her husband, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm leaving you. There has to be something to be offered to those types of people who are asking those tough and real questions. Questions like, how do we love God? How do we become vulnerable to a God who allows bad things to happen to good people? We've heard that in a thousand times. How do we trust God? How do we trust the God of Job? who allowed specific and intense pain and heartbreak and suffering and tragedy. How do we do that? How do we turn over all of our being to this God who obviously, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, how do we trust and turn over all of our being to this God who is sovereignly controlling and allowing my trouble? How do we do that? How do I make peace with the God who has mercy Simply on whom he chooses to have mercy and who hardens who he chooses to harden. How do I make peace with a God like that? Well, those are the questions that reveal the reality of why we gather here in moments like this. We gather together in this context so that we can hear. 
and be reminded, not just that we serve one God, but that we serve one God who is one. And what does that mean to us? That means that He is never infinitely merciful and He is never infinitely vindictive. That's what that means. We gather together to hear not just that we serve one God, but that we serve one God who is one so that we can hear and be reminded and be encouraged of the reality that if justice is being enacted in my life, I know that it is working in perfection with grace at the same time. Justice and grace are not pulling against each other. They are not straining against each other. They are working in perfect harmony, yes, for His glory. But guess what? He has us in mind too, and it's for our good as He is working salvation deeper into our hearts and ultimately outward flowing on others. <clears throat> How many of us Spank our children just for the sheer delight of spanking our children. I mean, how many of us do that? <clears throat> Anybody? Brownstone, he doesn't. No, he's saying that. He's shaking his head, no, I don't do that. <laughs> Who does that? How many of us spank our children just to show them that we have the authority and the ability to spank them? We don't do that. And the reason that we don't do that it's because each stroke of justice that we inflict upon our child is coupled with something else. It's not just justice that's being implemented. That justice is being coupled with the same amount of justice as being coupled with the same amount of grace. It's justice because, you know what, you deserve this. It's grace because I love you enough to implement this into your life so that you will learn to be obedient. That is why. David could say in Psalm 85.10 that mercy and truth have met together. That's why he could say that justice and peace have embraced. One translation says that justice and peace have kissed each other. Listen, beloved, that can only happen not because we serve one God, but because the Lord our God is one. Let's say that mercy doesn't bring the change. Every day is a gift of mercy. Every day is a gift of grace. Let's say that the daily gift of grace is just not simply enough to bring forth the change that God is wanting of us. So let's just say that by chance God is, is applying discipline. Let's say that God is applying judgment. Does that mean that one is being implemented and outbalancing the other? Does that mean that one is taking place and overriding the other? We have to, at this point, remember not just that we serve one God, but that our God is one. And what that means is that when judgment has accomplished its work in His wrath, He remembers mercy and they work together for good. The Lord our God is one. That is the confession that must precede the great commandment. That's why we gather together. That's why we gather together in this context to be reminded of that fact. And when that becomes branded into our hearts, you know what I believe? And this would have really worked well with my introduction that I didn't have. But when that happens, you know what, guys? I don't think that love is such a costly thing at that point. I think that it simply becomes more of a natural response to the object of our affections. It's the object of your affections. I want to close with this statement by Tim Chester in relation of why we meet. He says this. 
Our worship is a, sub, is a subversive or destabilizing act. Our worship is a destabilizing act. What's that mean? By giving our allegiance to God, we are withholding it from the empires and the ideologies of the world. In our corporate worship, we call one another back to worship of the true God and away from the worship of other gods. As we affirm the worth of God together in song, as we express together our dependence on Him in prayer, as we accept one another as those whose identity is found in Christ, in all these ways we call one another back to the worship of the true God. We rescue one another from the subtle influence and empty, the subtle influence of the empty and destructive idolatries of this world. Listen, we give our undivided love and allegiance to the one undivided God. Not just a matter of one God, but one God who is one. That's the comfort that we have in the midst of a very pressing culture. Now, this is what I want us to do today. Skip the introduction intentionally because this is what I want us to do. I want us to take advantage of this gathering. And I want us to do that by praying together. So this is how we're going to pray together. We're going to divide up into two groups. This group and this group. just want somebody over here to leave. Okay? What are you struggling with? What's going on in your life? How can a brother or a sister encourage you at this moment in relation to what is taking place in your life right now? We're going to do the same here. Okay? Jason, give us a few minutes. Okay? And then maybe just close us on a song. Is that good? Let's do that.